scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, and left corner to Aginla. Aginla the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aginla. Three bounds. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon. All right, we are underway on this Wednesday. It is August 23rd. Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk and welcome to the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. Yes, Steinberg, Logan Gordon along with you. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Well, as as we sit here, everything seems to be hinging on an Elias Lindholm decision. It's now August 23rd. Season has been over for more than four months, uh, and we are about a month away from the preseason getting going, less than two months from the start of the regular season. I believe the Flames on this Wednesday tweeted out were Jacob Pelche days away from their uh, season opener, 49 days until the season gets going. And, you know, so much of what the Flames are doing, and I think even just just asking around the league and to a couple of people that um, are are pretty involved in some of these things, I think the Lindholm decision and what the Flames are going to do with Elias Lindholm is also holding up other things, you know, potential contract extensions uh, within within the team, potential contract conversations about what things might look like going forward. And so I figured let's 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 dive in because we got an update from Frank Saravalli on Tuesday's show about, you know, maybe a little bit more of an air of optimism. And uh, we'll give you that update in just a second. But there's, I guess, two questions, one that leads to another. The biggest question right now is, does Elias Lindholm sign a long-term extension with the Flames? And number two, if he does, what does that long-term extension look like? So, Logo, first of all, hi, buddy. Howdy. Good to have you on Flames. Nice to be here. Um, how are you feeling about whether he signs or not? Where's your optimism level as to whether Elias decides to sign with the Flames long-term or not? It's hard to say right now because, look, optimistically, I, I think they have as, as good a chance as they've ever had to sign Elias Lindholm. I, I really believe that. My bigger issue comes with the the length that it's taken us to get here because everything that you've reported or Frank's reported on the deal's been there for mm-hmm. a while now. And it hasn't, I, uh, as far as I've understood, it hasn't changed much. It hasn't varied. It hasn't been, a, you know, a starting at the bottom and working our way to this point sort of thing. Yeah, it's, the not, like, it's have, not like they low-balled him. No, they've him really like put that. a good foot forward yeah. and what they believe is a competitive offer on the table and have since said, okay, it, it's up to you now whether you take this deal or not. And... I just I have a level of worry that it's taken Elias this long to potentially decide because I think that that demonstrates a bit of and look I understand it's a big decision I'm not saying you have to rush into it in two weeks time but we're talking about a couple months here now that this has been on the table and if you're still undecided at that point about wanting to commit to the Calgary Flames 
I wonder if that's not really showing your cards in a sense if you're Elias Lindholm. And if you're the Flames, you don't want him signing up here simply because he's getting the best value deal for himself money-wise. Like he's getting the most money. You want him here because, as Mackenzie Weger has talked about, we want guys that want to be in Calgary and want to win. So, yeah, am I optimistic they could still get a deal done? Absolutely. Is part of me worried that it's taken this long and continues to be a talking point this late into August as we get closer to training camp. Yeah, that part worries me. Here, by the way, is the update, and I think that's that's very fair, by the way. Here's the update from Frank Saravalli when he joined us on Tuesday's Flames Talk. These two sides continue to talk. I think there's an edge of optimism and or positivity. And they the Flames have put their cards on the table. I think they've made a massive offer. Uh, going back to late June, early July, mm-hmm. I think they remain intent on signing Elias Lindholm. And I think the best way to describe it is, as time has gone on, I think he, I don't want to say is coming around, but my sense is that he is listening more intently than he might have been you know, six, eight weeks ago. So that was Frank with us on Tuesday. Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider. And, and you know, what you said also worries me to an extent, you know, about it's taken this long for him to make a decision because I, I worry about, you know, I worry about only staying in a market because it's the most, as you said, it's the best deal you're going to get. And while I'm not going to get $72 million if I go to unrestricted free agency, so that's the main reason why I'm going to stay in Calgary. But let me spin it, let me spin it a little bit differently because I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'm curious as to how you would react to this. Because the, the most, most recent and acute example I have of a guy who clearly was signing for financially motivated reasons, I think was James Neal when he signed here. He wasn't getting that 50 or anywhere else. Uh, he wasn't getting that AAV in a lot of spots. And so, you know, he came to Calgary, and we all know what an unmitigated disaster that ended up being. Um, and so you don't want something like that happening. But what gives me a little bit of optimism on the on the Lindholm front, because on the surface, I think what you said is very fair. I have wondered as such about, you know, I mean you've got this massive deal on the table and you know that you're, that that's a fair deal. You know, that they have given you market value and maybe even beyond, you know, what is there to figure out? What are you deciding? But the reason I'm optimistic is because I really think that the Lindholm camp and, and Elias specifically is wondering what the vibe is going to be like, because we have no idea how different it's going to be. We can all talk about, we got Kale McLean, assistant coach coming on a little bit later on this hour. We all have talked about what the buzz is like from players, what the buzz is like with the new coaching staff, the new positive energy that Craig Conroy brings as the GM. It's just a, a different feel. There's a lighter feel. That dark cloud has, has been eliminated, but until you get to training camp, until you start to be around camp and around the guys again, maybe even when the the puck drops and you see how maybe a a new, fresh vibe manifests itself on the ice, I actually, that that gives me a little little bit of optimism because I know that we've heard Michael Backlund say that I want to see what this is all about before I make a decision. So if there's that type of thoughtfulness from Elias Lindholm, 
it actually leads me to believe that it's not just the money that he's interested in and not just the total dollar figure compared to what he could get on the open market that is really dictating this decision. Um, we're going to have to dive into something significant in just a second. Um, but I'll, I'll finish my thought on Lindholm before we get into that. I just, I, I wonder if that, I wonder if that doesn't kind of change some opinions if he does end up signing. If he waits a little bit to say, you know what, I really like what's going on right now, and that's the reason why I'm signing. Yeah, look, I, I don't, I don't want to downplay that possibility for sure because. I do think as much as Ryan Huska and Craig Conroy and anybody in the Flames organization want to tell Elias Lindholm, hey, it's going to be different. I promise you it's going to be different. We're going to have fun at the rink. We're going to be a different culture this time around. I I can understand anybody wanting to see it before they believe it, right? And that's uh, that's totally fair to Elias Lindholm to say, look, I'm open to this, but I I need to, to actually see it in its process beginning before I can actually sit here and believe it because last year was, was a dark cloud for a lot of guys yeah. and it wasn't fun for a lot of guys to come anymore to the rink and to, to be a, a hockey player every day. If that is the kind of thoughtfulness that Elias is putting into it, then, then yeah, I think you can understand why he wants to, to see it put in motion and, and words look, I mean, words are words. And uh, until, we're we're kind of in the same boat as observers, right? Yeah. We've heard all these good things as well about what the culture is going to look like and how it feels different already. But until it actually happens, we don't know that. Yeah, either. we got to see what the product looks yeah. like. Uh, we have some breaking news, which we'll get to in just a second uh, on this Wednesday afternoon. A few texts at 960-960. This reads, uh, Lindholm could even hold up a Hannafin trade because if Lindholm decides to move on, you may want to use Hannafin to acquire some center depth to replace him. If Lindholm resigns, you'd use Hannafin to get a winger, perhaps. Gord writes, uh, looking from the outside regarding Lindholm staying in Calgary, this makes him look selfish. If he truly wanted to be in Calgary, he would have gotten it done not a guy i want on my team if i'm a flame and this finally reads patty logo it's simple he wants to see the new culture before making any decisions and and i honestly believe that there is a big part of that going into this and it's not purely just a financially motivated decision on the Lindholm front. We'd expand this conversation more usually, uh, but as we're underway this hour of Flames Talk, Patty Logo from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, we have got significant NHL news. In fact, probably, and this is no knock on the Eric Carlson trade, this is no knock on the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, but uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have just signed Austin Matthews to a four-year contract extension. He is now the highest paid player in the NHL Four years, $13.25 million is the AAV for Austin Matthews in Toronto. That is uh, a new bench setter or a new benchmark setter. Uh, Four years, $13.25 million. It's a total of $53 million over four years for Austin Matthews, which in a lot of ways, it, it sets a massive new bar because... That is only a four-year deal that he's signing, and you are only buying a few unrestricted years 
for $13.25 million. And and I'm not suggesting that the uh, Maple Leafs have overpaid on this one at all because I don't believe they have. This is the preeminent goal scorer in the NHL, not named Alexander Ovechkin. And whenever Ovechkin decides to retire, Austin Matthews will take up the mantle of being the you know best pure goal scorer in hockey. But, you know, being that he was a year away, from unrestricted free agency and now here he is at 13.25 million dollars on a four-year contract extension that that truly uh, does reset a contract bar in the nhl much like Connor mcdavid did when he signed his most recent deal no knock on nathan mckinnon i don't think that was a bar resetter he was kind of being compared to mcdavid when he signed his deal at 12.6 but matthew signing a four at 13.25 yeah that just reset the entire landscape for superstars in the nhl i believe yeah mckinnon also slightly older uh matthew is, is 25 Absolutely. when he yep. signs this he'll be 29 when his uh, new contract comes up so still very much in the range of an eight or a seven year deal if he were to hit free agency in that time you know, my initial reaction to this is, Pat, is I thought it was going to be more, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's less than a $2 million raise off of his last contract, which was at 11.64. So less than $2 million up because Matthews really could have put the gears to the Leafs here. And, and if it was 15, 16, that's what we've been talking about all summer about this when Bradshaw Living took over there. If it's if it's, it's steadfast from his camp, 14, 15, 16 million is the range are you going to let him go for nothing? Cause I don't think you are, you know, would you, would he have to step up to that range and get it done to come in at 13.25 and get four years, you know, for him leading up to his 20 age, 29 season uh, feels like a significant win for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Brad for living. And that's a nice piece of work done uh, in my opinion, getting Matthews to sign that deal. I mean, it, it it's, without question is uh, a significant piece of business done for the Maple Leafs. It's just the reason why I am, you know, so I guess the reason what the, or or the reason why I am uh, so adamant that this is a bar resetter is that what would it have been if it was eight years? That's what I, that's what I'm wondering. What would, what would the number have looked like if he signed the max term? Would we be into the 16s? Would it be in the 15s? Because for each unrestricted year that you're buying of a player like Matthews at his age, you're paying a premium for every year we go. So they went four years, and he's now the highest paid player in the NHL. What would the premium be per year if you were buying four more UFA years? I And I honestly don't know. I don't think I'm being outlandish and saying that you know it might have had to be in the 15 and a half or 16 million range for him to go 18 years. That Sorry, eight years. That's why when I think about McDavid being up in three, years and him then re-signing his new deal you know what does an eight-year term look like on McDavid or what does a four-year term look like on McDavid because if McDavid's the best player in the NHL which we believe he is what is four what does a four-year extension look like for him 15 and a half well it's, it's so hard to say because these I don't know are these guys maximizing their value or are they forced to in a cap world pat take a little bit less so that they know their team can remain a contender. That's the difference here is if the team, if the guys were really willing to put the screws to their team and say, look, I'm not taking a dollar less than I am worth. Mm-hmm. Then I don't think Austin Matthews comes in at 13.25. I, 
even with a, a, a slight goal-scoring drop this year, which even Alex Ovechkin in his age 25 season, by the way, had a drop in goal production slightly for a guy that still scored 30-plus. That's that. That this is always going to be that that constant battle because I don't think you're wrong. That what the term would be and what the the dollar figure would be for a guy like McDavid is always interesting. But I don't think we ever know what that true number is because this generation like is of superstar Con- is going to only like is he going to hold out for the last penny? Well, exactly. From the is he is yeah. he he's not no, stupid enough fair. to sit there and go? Well, if I take twenty million up, that means I don't have another top four defenseman. We can't re-sign our goalie, and then I'm stuck here by myself, and that doesn't do me any good. Yep. So I'm okay signing for $15 million because it means there's money elsewhere. You know, you still, if you're Austin Matthews, you still get to sit here and say, I'm the highest paid player. I've reset the bar. But at the same time, you're still saving your team money. So I think it's two different conversations. I think what their actual value is, and look, the four UFA years the Leafs are buying are the four that you would want to buy. On an eight-year Agreed. contract, 100%. right? Would you rather buy him from twenty-five to twenty-nine or or uh, twenty-nine to thirty-three? I think we all know what the answer is. But until somebody, and, and again, in a salary cap world, I don't think it's going to happen. Until somebody really puts the gears on for a, an equal value contract, I, I don't know that we're talking about what what their real value is in these conversations well, and compared what to what they can get. What it's going to take is a dry sidle or a McDavid, or a Matthews, or a player, a Marner in a year. Uh, what it's going to take is a player of that caliber, like the clear superstar caliber, still in his mid-20s, who takes it to unrestricted free agency. And we we really don't see that very often. And that's not a that's no disrespect to Johnny Gaudreau because Johnny got paid. Um, that's no I, I guess the the guy that would maybe be the best example of it is a guy who's wearing the same colors in Toronto right now. When John Tavares took it to unrestricted free agency, that's probably the last time that we've seen something quite like that, where a player in his twenties who is an elite player who gets to unrestricted free agency early because he started when he was 18, you know, gets to be UFA at 25, 26, and, and actually hits the market. Matthews would have reset the bar if he did that, but he's not going to do so because he just took four years. And look, I give Austin a ton of credit because what has he said all along? At no point has he wavered. Everybody was, everybody's been talking about Matthews going to Arizona. Oh, all he wants to do is play for Phoenix. He's going to bolt on the Maple Leafs. they got one year left. And all he has said all along is, no, oh, no, I want to be in Toronto. The Maple Leafs are where I want to be. This is, this is the group I want to play for. And so he stays true to that. And he signed two deals far shorter than he could have signed. He signed a five instead of an eight, and now he signs a four instead of an eight. And it sets him up nicely for his next contract sure as well, uh, because the cap will be that much higher in five years' time when his contract comes up. But yeah, I think you know what, and I think that your point is is very valid. It's one of those circumstances where I think two things are are very much true at the same time. This resets the bar, and he also he also helped the Maple Leafs out by taking, as you said, less than two million dollars higher than what his AAV is right now by resetting the bar on a four year deal but by also only taking four and not to use your term, putting the screws in the Maple Leafs, he's given himself a better opportunity of winning a Stanley cup too. in, in a huge, huge, he is just, it's why the salary cap is the greatest invention for owners 
of all time because you you take away it gets players thinking about exactly. This stuff, you can't. Right? You have to. You're selfish. You're a selfish player, Pat. If you take as much money as we can give you, because I won't have any money to spend on the rest of your teammates. It's it's an ingenious invention uh, that agents and players must absolutely hate. Because guess what? As I've seen it already on Twitter or X or whatever this stupid thing is called. Uh, congratulations, Austin Matthews. You're a back end rotation pitcher in the end, in the Major League Baseball era. <laughs> you're a mid level ninth. You're a mid level exemption <laughs> in the NBA with your new contract. Congratulations. You are a sixth man off the bench in the NBA or whatever. Or right? Ninth, ninth man. Well, yeah, whatever it is, right? It's it's the greatest entrapment that ownership could ever come up with is a salary cap like this because all the pressure is on the player to not take as much money as they possibly can. And now in two years, we'll find out. I think we'll, we'll try to see this thing get reset again with the cap going up when Dreisaitl and Bedard are up for uh, potential contract extensions. Yeah, I mean, Dreisaitl is going to be fascinating because he's up in two. By the way, Bouchard signed in Edmonton today, too, on this uh, on this Wednesday. Two times 3.9 is what ends up getting that done. Looks like Lafreniere and the Rangers are close to uh, getting his RFA contract off the board as well. But if I've seen that. I think that's gone official. Has it gone official, way, yeah. yeah. Um, Matthews uh, is here we are on this Wednesday afternoon, uh, just before 3.30 p.m. if you're uh, listening live. And if you're not, that's when we're having this conversation is uh, right after three o'clock is when the news came down. Austin kind of broke it himself. He uh, first put out a. Yeah, I don't know if his PR team sent that out prematurely or what exactly. He he sent out a hey, I'm so happy to continue <laughs> helping the Maple Leafs move forward. So you're like, ah, I think there might be a Matthews <laughs> sure extension coming. Like you're extending in Toronto, you Austin. And then literally ten minutes later, uh, Elliot and Frank had it, and so. <laughs> Four times 13.25, some instant reaction to an Austin Matthews contract extension in Toronto. Um, that's, a, that's a big piece of business done for a new general manager who went from being one of the busiest GMs at times as GM of the Calgary Flames to not letting off the gas at all in his first few months as GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, Brad Treliving was extremely busy in free agency. Uh, reshaped the Maple Leafs in a big, big way, and now signs the most significant contract in Maple Leafs history. Uh, not a not a bad first few months on the uh, on the job for Tree in Toronto. Hey, whether yeah, it ends up working or not, we'll see. But yeah. he's uh, he's gotten business done. It doesn't get any it doesn't get any easier because Nylander's up next year. And by the way, none of your goaltenders are signed past this season either. So and as Marner as, and Tavares, Marner and after Tavares that. the year after, you've guaranteed yourself madness year after year by joining this iteration of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah, look, I, I think Tree made it pretty clear from day one in Toronto that Austin Matthews was a priority, and I, I, I think that that was I think he in a I think he joined a nice situation because I think Austin was happy with being in Toronto. Like you, you mentioned earlier, has always stuck to his word about being in Toronto and wanting to stay there because every time it's come up or it's come close and it's been a year ahead of time, he's put pen to paper yep. and made that deal happen. So um, I, I think Tree came into a nice relationship there. I think he got a good piece of business done. And now it's just going to try to be, you know, I think those in-season adjustments as you try to work uh, a Stanley Cup window around these guys and how you can, you know, continually improve your team and there's always little things that'll jump up right there'll be an injury here uh there'll be different things that come up mid-season but as far as 
year one in Toronto. I'm not sure it could get any busier or bigger for no Tree. Uh, a few texts at 960-960. Mick says 13 mil for a guy who's not as good as Drysaddle. That's why I say, I mean, you can we can have the arguments about who's better, but what does Leon's contract look like in two years up north? Uh, Canucks fan Scott says, what implications does this have for Elias Pettersson and his extension? What's your guesstimate on his term and AAV? Well, another guy that doesn't seem to be keen on signing an eight-year extension in Vancouver Right? Does this set a, a similar bar for a guy that's a year younger than Austin Matthews? Now he's still a few, and he's still a uh, he's he's RFA, so he's not a pending UFA. So yeah, he's, he's leverage a little lower rights next year. Yeah, yeah but I, I I would bet you, he, I would bet you that contract comes in in the double digits. Oh, clearly double digits. I I would say, is it over? Is it over eleven? Is my question like? Between 11 and 12, that is my guess on on what Pedersen signs. Uh, Matt and Cochran, that doesn't seem good for the Oilers now that they need to sign Leon and Bouchard in the same offseason. That's right, because Bouchard and Drysaddle will be up in two years' time. And finally, uh, Mike and Calgary, I think Edmonton's more worried about if McDavid will re-sign. I bet if they don't win a cup... He's gone. Next, 960-960 on the text line. Some instant reaction there to Austin Matthews and his signing. We'll turn it back to the Flames, uh, turn it back to uh, what has been a very busy offseason and a new buzz around this Calgary Flames team. We're checking in with assistant coach Kale McLean. He's got a more enhanced role on the coaching staff this year. Kale McLean, our guest when we come back. It's Flames Talk on a Wednesday here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. All right, this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk rolls on and uh, very happy to welcome our next guest to the program. He is uh, back for another year on a brand new Flames coaching staff. Flames assistant coach Kale McLean joins us now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Lots to dive into with uh, Kale on this Wednesday. Kale, appreciate the time today. How are we doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, Pat. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How's the summer been so far? Uh, treating me well. Treating me well and enjoying, uh, you know, the summer in Calgary with a few trips sprinkled in back east to visit my home in Nova Scotia and and uh, go to some uh, places that we have around and sort of uh, enjoying everything. It's been great here. I know the weather's been up and down, but certainly, um, you know, been a good summer overall and excited to get moving forward here. Did you get, uh, has your travel experience been better than the, uh, the flight to Nashville? Yes, yes. I can say that was a low point <laughs> on my summer in terms of my travel, so... I'm happy for that, that's for good, sure. Wasn't sitting in the airport all day. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's what I like to hear. Um, well, I, I guess yeah. we we uh, we saw you and and ran into you and and Jason and Ryan in Nashville at the draft, and and you know at that point the coaching staff hadn't been fully finalized, and and now that we know that it is, I, I guess just uh, tell us about getting to know this new coaching staff and and uh, your impressions of the brand new group. Well, I, th- I think we got a great group. I think it's, uh, you know, interesting in terms of some different dynamic coming into the picture. We had a couple of good days in July where we were able to all get together as a group and start to game plan for what we want to do in terms of our style of play and the culture that we want to set. 
And, you know, when you, you have the familiarity of Ryan Huska taking over and someone that has gained a lot of respect among our staff and the guys that are, you know, holdovers. And so we're, we're well led by Ryan. And then all of a sudden you, you know, add in Dan Lambert, who is a guy that has a good rapport with Ryan already. They've got a good level of trust and he has some great experience in a few different places in the NHL as well as his WHL experience. So like that part of it, and now injecting uh, Mark Savard into it, who's young and has got some fresh ideas in terms of the offensive side of things. Um, it's going to be, a, you know, I think a, an interesting group where we can come at the guys in a new way, uh, keep some of the old, but add in some new and certainly, you know, really work hard to establish the kind of uh, culture and the kind of environment that we want. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Andrew Doughty, who's come on as well and helping us on the video side as the assistant to Jamie Pringle and have spent a few days with him over the last week. And he's, he's really sharp and it looks like he's going to bring a lot to our team as well. So that's another great bonus for us. I do, uh, you know, you talk about being well led by by Ryan, and you know, you go back to your even your time when you were in the American League as as an assistant in Stockton. I mean, your association with with Ryan Huska goes back quite a lot. Obviously, the last three years you've been on the NHL coaching staff with him. So, I mean, you you've been along for a lot of this ride with uh, Ryan. You're very familiar with Huska as, as now the head coach of this team. Tell us, uh, tell us about your uh, just. Oh, I mean, how happy you are. Your observations, your impressions of, of Ryan Huska, the head coach. Well, first of all, really happy. Um, when you when you think about Ryan and the kind of person he is, in terms of how he approaches his work and being a professional hockey coach, there aren't many people that I've met in the game that um, put the effort and the detail into what they're doing and take it as seriously as Ryan does. He's someone who I think has a lot of uh, appreciation for the, all the work he's done over the years in the various levels. And he's been really consistent at it since I've uh, first been introduced to him and went to Stockton to help on his staff. He's, uh, you know, very consistent in both his level of detail and his work ethic and really consistent in his, um, you know, his personality and how he treats the people around him. So as you know, Pat, and anyone knows in any walk of life, when you're when you're around someone like that, their character really shows through on a daily basis, and it's it doesn't alter. And you know, I quickly realized like this is someone that a is a is a um, like a trustworthy person to work with, and on the other side, he's someone that cares about the team a lot. Like he's he's a guy that I've seen over the course of these years it never wavers in terms of he wants what's best for his hockey team, whether he's an assistant coach or head coach, he's always looking for, okay, what do we need to do to make this the best situation for our players? And, you know, I think if you extend that a little bit further, I would, I would give a lot of credit to Ryan's entire family. I know them well. I know Denise's wife well, because I've been in new situations, both in Stockton and in Calgary and seeing how it's not a, it's a holistic thing on their family's behalf is that they all contribute to that. Denise is wonderful at making sure that people feel welcome in terms of 
new spouses that are coming into the picture. And, you know, the Huskas are great at having staff over and working to make sure everyone's comfortable. So it can't say enough about him, you know, about the, the job that Husk is going to do and about how he and his family approach the profession that we're in, which, as you know, is pretty all-encompassing. So yeah. that's why I include the family, because we are we are all involved in it. 100%. Well, and, and Kale, it's it's interesting because, you know, both both you and, and Ryan uh, would come in after home games and, and sit with us in, in, our, uh, in our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems hot stove lounge. And, you know, win or lose, well, you would come in, you're always even keel. And, and Husk would come in, and, and is always really even keel. And you get the, the same interview after a tough loss as you do after a big win. And, and so, you know, the, the outside picture that we have of Ryan is a really easygoing, just really nice friendly, warm guy, and yet behind closed doors as, as a head coach in the NHL, you've got to be firm, you've got to be stern, all those types of things. like that. The, there is still that ability to command respect in, in uh, Ryan's repertoire, isn't there? Like as, as, as nice and easygoing as he is, he also has that other side where he needs to put the foot down, right? Yeah, totally. And I think that uh, like his, his demeanor comes across um, you know, as a, as a nice person. And he's, he, he'll display that because Ryan's really good at separating. Like, you know, when he removes himself from the situation, he understands that uh, you have to take a step back and assess with rationality and make sure that you're making the right decisions. But that's not to say that in game or behind closed doors, he doesn't have fire. He certainly has fire and he has the ability to tell people what they need to hear. He doesn't shy away from that. Um, I've seen it, you know, from a player level or a staff level. It's you need to do the job or he's going to let you know that you're not doing the job properly. Um, but I think what's good about Ryan is that he's um, he's consistent in the way that he'll approach things. Like he's not going to treat a player differently the day after a game because they played poorly or well, he's just going to tell them if they played poorly or if they played well, he's going to be honest with them and let them know, but he's going to do it in a way they respect because he's not going to treat them as a different kind of person just because their hockey game didn't go a certain way last night. And I think, I think that goes a long way. That's cool. Uh, that's a cool way of putting it. I like that. We're chatting with Kale McLean, assistant coach of the Calgary Flames, here this hour on Flames Talk. Um, and and then you know you you kind of talked a little bit about the the two new additions uh, to the bench staff, and I, I want to ask you about your your initial impressions of kind of the hockey minds of, of both Dan and and Mark. Let, let's start with uh, let's start with Dan Lambert. You talk about the the rapport and the history that he and Ryan have going back to their time in Kelowna of the Western League. But what of your impressions? Impressions of Dan Lambert been now that he's on this staff? Um, you know, we've had we've had good discussions hockey-wise. I feel like he's a he's someone who's been in the game for a long time. He played it at a at an elite level as a cerebral defenseman. So he's got that element of understanding, you know, the offensive side, especially of a of a uh, D man's job and. He's also worked in some good situations. You know, he and Husk had worked together. Then he took over Kelowna, spent some time in Buffalo, spent his most previous time in Nashville. And, you know, they had a good staff in Nashville. John Hines, as the head coach, did a really good job there. And I think that Dan 
you know, obviously contributed a lot, but also picked up a lot from there. So I like what he brings to the table in terms of this hockey acumen. He's got a good, he's got a good feel for both sides of the puck. He's run the power play in Nashville for a few years. So he, he also has a real good feel for that side of things. Um, and the person is, you know, real uh, from, from how he's approached our situation and how we've interacted real authentic and humble and uh, ready to do the job. I feel, I think that he's going to be fun to work with. I think we're going to have a good staff in terms of open communication, which, which, you know, that's going to bring on a lot of creativity. And I think that's where Mark Savard is going to come into play as well. Cause he's, as we know, as a player, had a good creative side to him. Yeah. But you need that that open atmosphere. You need that free exchange of ideas to be able to sort of spur that on. And so I think that's gonna that's gonna help him play into it. But we're talking about Dan and from from what I can see, Dan I think is going to be a great uh addition to our staff. One well, and, and you talk about Mark and the the creative and, and offensive mind and even just talking to him, the the enthusiasm's pretty infectious as well. What uh, what can you tell us about Mark Savard? Uh, well, if we start there on the hockey side, I think that's the one thing that Mark, you know, really brings to the table is his, his ability to understand what it means to play that high level offense in the NHL as a guy who's who's, you know, physically done it. You know, he's operated on the half wall on a power play. So he understands the nuances of, you know, those small area skills and, and you know, what it takes for guys in one-on-one kind of situations to be able to open up space, to give you, to be able to open up passing lanes. Um, so I think that he's going to bring a lot to the table on that side of things, just that, kind of knowledge of the the real first-hand knowledge of knowing what it's like to do that at the NHL level mm-hmm. on the ice. And uh, obviously has some great coaching experience from the last few years in Windsor with some good success. So he's got, he's got the ability to motivate a group and to sort of get them to buy into a message that he's selling. So I think on that side, he's going to be solid. I think uh, on the personal side, one thing that's exciting about Mark is he's a fun guy. Like he's, you can tell he's a, he's a guy who likes to joke around and he, he likes to chirp and he likes to um, sort of keep things light in terms of around, I, I can't say for sure, but I'm thinking around the office, he's going to be a guy that's engaging and making sure that when we're all pounding away at our computers and things like that, that we don't forget what we're doing is a privilege and we're going to have fun doing it. And as a result, that's going to sort of um, bleed into the attitude we bring into our team. And we all know that a real fresh, um, excited attitude is going to help our team a lot. Well, and I, and then I do have to ask you about uh, what things look like for you this year, Kale. And, and, you know, we've, we've uh, heard that you're going to be taking on a little bit more of an expanded role now on this coaching staff. So what, uh, now that you've had a chance to to consult and and chat with Ryan and and I'm just what what is the uh, coming season look like for you as as a coach on this staff, Kale? Well, I think that the, there's going to be some definite similarities to my role from the last few years. In that, one of my big responsibilities is our team's preparedness for our competition. You know, in terms of 
pre-scouting and presenting to our team um, the that night's opponent. But we really push to do that in a way that's sort of more reflective of how we want to play and how the opponent might um, slightly bend that. But, okay. in the, you know, the main thing is that we want to make sure we use that opportunity of, of pre-scouting and meeting and sort of talking about the other team as ways to reinforce our structure, our game plan, our, you know, attack mentality so that we don't lose sight of how we want to play. So that'll, that'll stay consistent. I think where I'll find a bit more of an expanded role and, and I did some of it the last few years is more on the, the team teaching side in terms of, how we play five on five when you, when you have Dan and Mark, um, they're going to be more involved in the uh, special teams aspect. Whereas I'll be more involved in the five on five aspect of making sure that our team is cohesive, that any new systems that we're implementing, that we do a good job with that. So inevitably it sort of puts me in front of the team a fair amount, which I really appreciate. I, I appreciate the, the trust that um, Husk has in me in that respect so that I can expand that. And then and another area that I think I can expand is uh, in the sense of the one-on-one work with forwards, making sure that both Mark Savard and I are really uh, chipping away at the individual improvement of guys okay. and, and keeping them moving forward in terms of their, in terms of their progression. Just a few more with Flames assistant coach Kale McLean here on this hour of Flames Talk. You know, and, and it's funny, you bring up the the enhanced role and, and really diving in on the five-on-five five play. And, and I know that there's only so much that, that you might be comfortable in, in uh, talking about. But I'm just curious. You know, you go from one coaching staff to another. And, and there are, as you mentioned, those holdovers and some coaches that were part of the last staff and how how similar how similar is the brand of hockey going to be from one year to the next, or how different are we talking about? Is it more nuanced, or or will we on the outside be seeing some things that are really noticeable? I'm just curious from a style or or brand of hockey standpoint, what the expectation should be going into this season. Uh, I think that you're going to identify a different when you watch our team play. You're going to see a different style of play um, with some elements of the there's elements of um, our play on the defensive side of the puck that we've implemented the last few years that have gone well. Like there, when you look at underlying five on five numbers from the last few years, there are a lot of numbers that really, you know, were um, top 10 NHL numbers in terms of how we managed without the puck. And I think that there's going to be elements of that we're going to we're going to maintain, but there are a few systems that are going to be a bit different without the puck. Um, so and that'll be noticeable okay. in terms of um, when you're watching us play. But I think where we're hoping to create more excitement and more energy is in I we had a hardworking team and we played with pace the last few years. But we, I think, can add another level of dynamicness in terms of our offense. And that's something that is, um, won't be super evident in terms of, you know, uh, like, you know, offensive zone is offensive zone. But I think when you get into uh, the transition in the neutral zone and you get into 
the kind of uh, quality opportunities we want to create. We're hoping to maybe to push the envelope a bit more. We're hoping to uh, expand the ice a little bit more and a little bit faster so that we can get some more speed to our game and utilize, you know, some of the great speed we have in our lineup. And sometimes when you can do that, you can take players that are of average speed and they can all of a sudden look like they're, they're moving because they're a little bit ahead of the game. And it's our job as coaches to sort of implement that, like get, get our team on the same page offensively in terms of how quickly we want to spread and expand the ice and get to the other end of the ice. And when we do that, everyone's going to look fast. So I, I like, I like what we're going to uh, be working on here on the offensive side. So I think you're going to see some, some new and exciting things from our team with that underlying foundation of a team over the last few years that has been really well um, honed in the, on the defensive side of the game. Okay, um, that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I and and it's you know you you hear you speak or any of the, the coaching staff, you listen to different players, we've had an opportunity to hear from you know, Mackenzie Weger or Nazem Kadri or Jonathan Huberdeau over the last number of weeks and months, or, or even listening to the enthusiasm in Craig Conroy's voice. It's, it's, it just, it's new. I mean, there's a new management group, and it's a new coaching staff. It, it feels like there is a, a fresh and new buzz around the team, and I know that that only counts for so much because the results that really matter are, are once the puck drops in October. But I, I'm just curious from, from your standpoint, like, do you, have you picked up on what is, it, it feels like a fresh start or feels like just a little bit of a different vibe around the group? Yeah, for sure. I think that anytime you make changes, regardless of the, of the outgoing and the incoming, there's always a freshness to the situation. And that's the case here. Uh, yes, Ryan Huska was an assistant coach on our team prior to this year, but now he's the head coach. And, th- and anytime you're in an assistant role, you're not, you're not freewheeling in terms of how, like, you're not playing the exact same um, system or style or culture that uh, the head coach had previous. You're going to come in with your own ideas. So I think that between Connie taking over, and between Ryan Huska taking over and some more changes to our um, structure in terms of management and coaching staff, I think that there is a good buzz going on. And I do think that uh, one of our staff mandates is to create a culture of work, right? Do the work first. And then, but then remember, we're playing a game. Right, we are extremely uh, fortunate to coach and play a sport or a game, and we want to make sure our players remember that every time they play. So, in order to do that, you got to come in with a good, positive attitude. They have to have fun after the work is done, and we need to, you know, maximize the the opportunity before us in terms of working hard but enjoying what we do. Good stuff, Kale. It's uh, good to catch up in the summer. We'll uh, see you back at the Dome in just a matter of weeks' time, and uh, we'll be uh, ready to rock for a brand-new training camp. But uh, really appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of it with us. Have a great rest of your summer. Hey, we'll uh, see you soon. 
Thanks very much, Pat. You take care. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. He's uh, Kale McLean, Calgary Flames assistant coach, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. As we start to wrap things up this hour on Flames Talk, turned out to be a busy hour. Uh, started talking Lindholm, then uh, midway through, uh, if uh, you were listening live, it was Breaking news at the time, uh, Austin Matthews signs a four-year deal at $13.25 million to remain with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a four-year extension for Austin Matthews, and uh, that was followed by that chat with Cale McLean to wrap up the hour. Thanks to Logan Gordon. Thanks to producers Cam Hughes and Taylor Dingman. Thanks to Cale McLean. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. It's been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit CalgaryLockAndSafe.com slash doors.